God's precious grace, his mercy, and his peace be multiplied unto us this day from our Lord and from our Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, as Bill already announced, his announcements are a little longer than my sermon, by the way. Uh, Bill, are you still here? <laughs> Just had to make that mention. Uh, the... Uh, this is the last time that my wife and I will be blessed to be with you, and uh, it has been a blessing. We want to uh, state that clearly and to uh, tell you that uh, it's always a privilege to share God's word. Today, his word comes to us um, as another one of those promises. We've sung about promises. We've sung about that in our hymns, and you've heard some of that. God makes a lot of promises in Scripture. Advent is a time to remember some of those promises. We ask, what promises? Well, I hope you will hear several of them clearly made in our sermon today. We ask a simple question. Maybe you all know the answer already. Why did Jesus come? And how does that relate to me? Hopefully those two questions will be answered very clearly. Maybe, like I say, you already know the first one. The first promise that God made came in Genesis 3. We know that story, don't we? God had created Adam and Eve to live in a perfect place in a beautiful garden. They had one law to obey. Don't eat from the tree in the center of the garden. And, of course, they disobeyed that law. No longer would they have that perfect relationship with God that he had intended for them. Things would really get tough. Life would be difficult because of their sin. That's why Jesus had to come. But God would not leave them without hope and a promise. The very first promise of scripture. You've heard it before. He said it to the serpent actually. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between her seed and your seed. He will crush your head, but you will bruise his heel. That was Genesis 3.15. Veiled as it was, and perhaps some of us still might struggle just a bit to understand what was being said, what God had done was to promise a Savior to change that sinful relationship, to reconnect God and his creation. Later, God would choose a people to carry that promise down through the generations. He found a man by the name of Abram. Abraham, he said, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Already a hint that that would be a wider blessing than just Abram's family, but just a hint in Genesis 2, 12, or 12, 2, excuse me. Abraham was 75 when God first told him that story, and he took him outside and he showed him the stars. He said, look up into the heavens and count the stars if you can, so shall your offspring be. And we're told a beautiful promise, a beautiful statement, rather. Abram believed the Lord, 
and he credited it to him as righteousness. Abram was saved by his believe, belief and trust in God's promises. And that's how all of the Old Testament people were saved. That's how, indeed, how all people, including you and me, are saved. By believing God's promises. Sarah, Abram's wife, would be 90 before that promise was fulfilled in their son Isaac. And Abram was 100. And yet he continued to believe. Several generations would pass through the Old Testament and the people would travel to Egypt because of a great famine. They would live there for over 400 years and during that time they would fall out of prominence or uh, good pleasure with the Pharaoh and they would become slaves. And again, God remembered his promises to his people and he sent Moses to bring them out. And Moses, even in spite of their Unruly rejection of God led them all the way to the promised land 40 years later. But it would remain to Joshua, Joshua the mighty warrior, who would take possession and conquer all the land that God had promised to his people. All along, God had intended for all people to be saved through this chosen nation of the Jewish people. In Genesis 12, 3, we read these words spoken by God to Abram. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all people, all people on earth will be blessed through you. All people. For many of the Jews, they thought that that only meant them. But God had always intended it to be everyone. He never intended that this world would die in their sins and be left alone for everlasting punishment. God, through the prophets, intended you and me to be here this day, to be his saints, to be his children, to be God's people. Isaiah, the great prophet of the Old Testament, had two jobs to do. One to warn the people about their rejection of the promises of God and to open the door for the Gentiles by telling about the birth of a Savior. If we could have a Christmas program and many of the churches around are mourning the fact that that can't happen this year because of the COVID, you would hear again this promise, Therefore a virgin shall be with child and give birth to a son and you shall call him Emmanuel which means God with us. And again, Isaiah would say, tell us these words, for to you a child is born, for to you a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and you will call him Wonderful, Counselor, a Mighty God, an Everlasting Father, a Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government, and the peace there will be no end. Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. And finally, in the 53rd chapter of Isaiah, he would give us the gory details of just how this would be accomplished. As he would tell us, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. The chosen people 
had been blessed by God. Yet time and time again, they rebelled against the worst and the most important commandment. Number one, they began to take up gods of the nations that they had conquered. Over and over again, they rejected the true God. And we must ask ourselves as we go towards the Christmas that we will celebrate in just a few weeks, are we worshiping the true God or is there something else in our life that takes priority, that's more important than the true God? A philosopher, a teacher of philosophy, asked his students one day, a class of 40, to play a word association game with him. He said, I'll give you a word and you give me one word. Write down one word. The word is Christmas. They wrote down all sorts of words. Tree, mistletoe, carols, cookies, turkey. All these words, not one said the birth of Jesus. You see, Frosty and the Grinch and Rudolph and Santa and all of the things the world will celebrate on December 25th have very little meaning compared to the great gift that Christ will come, that our Savior Jesus will be born. Would have that been your first word if you were playing that word association game? But it's difficult. It's difficult to focus in this world of all the rest going on, to focus on the Savior, Jesus. That's why these Advent services are so important. And thank God that you're here to hear God's clear message of what Christmas is all about and what Christ comes to bring us. Even Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, when he is described by God in Luke's gospel as one who is upright in the sight of God, obeying all of God's commands. In other words, he would be called a good churchgoer today. And then the angel Gabriel tells him, your prayers have been answered. Your wife who was barren will give birth to a child. And you will call his name John. And what does Zachariah say? How can I be sure? How can I be sure? Gabriel was insulted by that question. And of course, we know that story ends with the sadness of Zechariah not being able to speak for nine months. Have you ever struggled to believe God's promises? If you had been Zechariah, would you have not asked the same question or one similar? A number of us here are of that age or close to Zachariah's age. What if you were told that you were going to have a child? How can I be sure? <laughs> I think would have been my answer. In the midst of this pandemic, we've all begun to wonder, where is God? Why isn't this being fixed? Why is this going on so long? Or perhaps some other things have happened to you. Maybe in the midst of this pandemic, maybe you've lost a job or some wages or something has happened to you. Or as we've heard now, 
Two members of the congregation died in this recent weeks. You lose a loved one, we ask the question, where is God? Where is God? You see, there's always a degree of miraculous in all of God's promises, and it's hard for sinners to believe in miracles. And Jesus, of course, is the biggest miracle of all. It's far more difficult to cling in faith, believing in Jesus, than to join the crowd and just give lip service. You know, we'll come to church, but we don't have to really pay much attention. It's all fantasy, isn't it? I pray not. I pray not. I began this sermon by talking about Adam and Eve. Depending on how you number the Old Testament and how you figure out the age of the earth, it would be four to 6,000 years before that promise given to Adam and Eve would be fulfilled at the birth of Jesus. That was the promise that he, they had received. A Savior was coming. And it's been 2,000 plus years since Jesus was born. And that's a long time by anybody's counting. Over those years, God has remained faithful to his promises. Though they may have been delayed in coming as we would think of delayed, he has fulfilled every single one of them while oftentimes his chosen people sinned over and over again, rejecting him. And then when he came, the Jewish nation as a whole rejected him. And so God opened the door for you and for me, the Gentile nations. First Peter tells us very clearly these words, once you were no people, but now you are God's people. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you might be declare his praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. What a beautiful passage that is. Perhaps we should write that on the doors. Perhaps we should have that written on our hearts to remember what God has chosen us to be. The one true God, the God of Moses, the God of the prophets, is indeed our God. And all the promises he made to the Jewish people down through the ages were promises that he was making to us indeed as well. Jesus makes it really clear, and I don't know if you've thought of it this way, but he makes this fact very clear in John 3.16, a passage you probably all could recite to me. For God so loved the world, the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Have you thought about that? You are part of that world. You and I are God's chosen people, according to Peter. Clearly, Jesus came to save sinners, all sinners. Listen to the words of Jesus that we hear so many Sundays. Take, eat, this is my body. 
given for you. Take drink. This is my blood shed for you. That is God's new covenant. A covenant is an Old Testament word, but a new covenant for you and for me as we approach this altar and we receive the very body and blood given and shed for the forgiveness of your sins and mine. God's new covenant. It's a funny place to put the text on a sermon, but all of that that came before hopefully will help you understand what the people of God in Isaiah's time did not understand. Isaiah 19, 23 to 25, I read it to you, and it was not understood, I guarantee you, by the people who heard it first. Hopefully now it becomes a little more logical to you. In that day there was a, will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria, and Assyria will enter into Egypt, and Egypt into Assyria, and Egypt will serve Yahweh with Assyria. In that day, Israel will be a third with respect to Egypt and Assyria, a source of blessings in the midst of the earth, each of whom Yahweh of hosts will have blessed by saying, Blessed be my people, Egypt, and the work of my hands, Assyria, and my inheritance, Israel. Did you get it? Maybe still not. It's veiled, isn't it? Assyria and Egypt were enemies. They were the two big powers, and they were in a tug of war. And you know what was in between? Israel. And Israel had the promise. And what God said through the prophet Isaiah is that these nations would no longer tug at each other. They would become one in Christ. The Gentile nations would take up the God of Israel was unheard of at the time. The people couldn't believe what Isaiah was saying. But we know it's true because here we are. We have God's promises. The Apostle Paul says it this way, if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise, Galatians 3.29. The God of ancient Israel has now become your God and mine. By God's grace, we are here today. By God's grace, we are saved. By God's grace to each and every one of us, all God's promises belong to us. What a joyous celebration we have this day. A reason to light a pink candle and even wear pink pyramids <laughs> because God came to save all people. All people. You and me. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.